Well, good morning. We are continuing our study in Colossians chapter 2. We're starting a little earlier today because we have communion to follow. And today's communion is going to follow directly along with the message today. In Colossians 2, we'll be in verses 13 through 15. And last week, we saw that Paul warned the church in Colossae to not be led astray by foolish philosophies, but to believe fully in Christ, for He is fully God, and, and you are full, you are complete in Him. And that's why you trust in Christ, because He's fully God, He's fully man, He's preeminent, He is supreme. And today we'll see how Paul will continue this thought about believing in Christ. We'll see what it looks like for one to be apart from Christ. So if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, what, what does that look like? Before you knew Christ as your Savior, what did that look like? We'll also see what it took for God to make sinners and to turn them into saints. So let's look at the text here in Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15. Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. First, we see in this text what we are apart from Christ. What am I apart from Christ? See this in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... What are you before Jesus? Paul says that you are dead in your trespasses. If you don't know Greek, the word here for death means, dead means dead. It means dead. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. It's dead. You're unresponsive. Unresponsive. Dead people do not call 911 for help. They're dead. They're unable to respond. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins. You've been drowned in the pool of your sin. We're dead in our trespasses. And apart from Christ, we are at war with Him. Right? There's no peace with God. We are enslaved to sin. We're unable to respond to our Savior. We are at war with our Creator. And this is the state that we find ourselves in. Paul writing the letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, which Mike Lohr read verses 11 through 22 and verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So he's talking past tense. This is for believers following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's not a beautiful description. We are enslaved to sin. We are dead in our sins, and we are enslaved, sorry, to Satan. Since we are dead, right, we're unable to respond to God. Since we are enslaved, we are in our flesh, we are awaiting the impending wrath of God. That's what he says in Ephesians 2, right? We are by nature children of wrath. That's not like, put that on my tombstone. It's not a description you want to be said of you. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that, that statement might be 
highly offensive. And I'm not trying to offend you. Paul's not trying to offend you. But he is speaking the truth. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're enslaved to Satan and the power of sin. You're unable to respond. Even the things that we do, right, the best of our works are filthy rags. But there is good news. So look at me. So if you're here and first time ever, first time in a long time, and you're like, man, this is depressing. I'm, you know, I'm checking out now. There's good news. Because this is the before. This is the after. Remember, like, America's Biggest Loser, the before picture and the after, <laughs> like, big change. Like, what happened? They lost, like, a third. The guy lost a third of himself. There's the after. Something changes here because there's good news that you can be made alive. You can be given new life. The very thing that killed you, God can remove. The very thing that enslaved you, God can triumph over. And we'll see what happens next and how God makes sinners into saints. So what must happen, number two here, what must happen to make sinners saints? How does that happen? Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's pretty simple. What do you have to do to go from being a sinner to being a saint? You call, you believe, you're like, that was easy. Hit the staples button, right? That was easy. You know, yesterday when I went out, we went out to eat for my bride's birthday, and so taking her out to eat. Let me tell you what, getting food yesterday, easy. I looked at the waitress, pointed out the thing on the menu, that. Guess what happened? She brought me food. Bing, that was easy. Making food must be easy. Because it's a simple process. Just order, and it comes. You know, anybody that's ever helped with a Thanksgiving meal knows that's a lie, right? Straight from the pit of hell. Because like, in Thanksgiving, whoever helps prepare that meal is thankful Thanksgiving is over. <laughs> they wasted <laughs> the last week and a half preparing for that meal. But it, for knuckleheads like me that it show up to the feast, this is fantastic. Man, look at all this fresh. It just showed up. That was easy. Time to eat. I can't wait for leftovers. Can you bring it out again? Right? And so you think, well, that, that must be easy. Well, folks, if you understand that with food, tell me you understand that with salvation. Coming to the table is easy. Calling out and believing, that's the easy part. But salvation is not easy. It was not easily won. It, it cost someone something. And it costs someone something dear. And so when we come, we have to recognize that salvation, that there are aspects, and there are barriers that keep us from even coming. There are two barriers, two locked doors you cannot get through to get to the cross. They're keeping you at bay. The first, right, is we're dead in our sins. The second, we're enslaved. And one writer said, speaking of these two berries, there are two berries which stand between human beings and membership in God's family. The written code, that debt he speaks of here in chapter 213, and the powers and authorities. 
In summary, these two barriers are penalty of sin, the power of Satan, and his minions. They're keeping you from responding. But somebody has to unlock those doors. Friend, look at me. That part is not easy. You don't have to do it. That's what's great. But breaking and canceling the power of sin, destroying, destroying the powers that ruled over you, it's not easy. And friend, look at me. You can't do it. Just like the meal I ate yesterday, couldn't make it. But I could enjoy it. It's the same when it comes to salvation. So first we see our, the penalty of sin must be canceled. What happens to make sinners into saints? The penalty of sin must be canceled. And the penalty of sin is described here in different ways. We're going to look at these three different ways that the penalty of sin is described, which turns, when those three are canceled, brings us this life. We're made alive. First, our sins have to be forgiven. Look at Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, you're dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Remember we talked about last week, that phrase, uncir- uncircumcision of your flesh, we're, we're unable to respond to God. And God lops that off. He cuts that off and says, you can now turn and respond to me as you ought, as you should. You're dead in the trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. In order to be made alive, our trespasses, our sins, must be forgiven. Not some of our sins, all of our sins. Not just our past sins, all. Not just our present sins, but all. Not just our future sins, but all sin must be forgiven. When Christ died on the cross, he died for all of them. Why must he die for all? And why must all your sins be forgiven? Because he is a holy God. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot be around sin. Do you remember the Garden of Eden and the cost and the consequence of one sin? And think of the sin. Think of the sin that, I mean, think of that. Mom and Dad, have you ever, have you ever asked your child, Grandma Grandpa, have you ever asked your grandchild, don't eat that? Right, we're waiting for supper. Just don't eat that right now. Can't do it. And then your child does it. Do you remember being a child? And you snuck your hand to the cookie jar? Right, and you got one out and you ate it? That sin, that's the disobedience that caused the fall of all mankind. Don't eat from that tree. We're not talking a heinous murder. We're not talking some illicit, immoral sin. Because sin is sin is sin. All sin is highly offensive to God. That one sin caused the fall of mankind. The one sin changed the nature and course of history. That one sin changed the earth. It's not going to grow like it used to. Animals, they're not going to respond like they wanted to. Relationship between husband and wife, it's not going to go according to plan. Everyone's going to be fighting over each other. Who's going to be ruling the roost? Childbirth. Sin. The pain you feel, sin. 
death, consequence of sin. Cancer, consequence of sin. I mean, keep going down the list. From choosing to not eat, I mean, choosing to eat from one thing God said don't eat from, that sin is so highly offensive to God, it caused the fall of all mankind. He did not cause it. Man caused that. The consequences of his sin was the fall. Why must God forgive you all your sins? Every single one is highly offensive to him. He is holy. He is separate from sin. He cannot tolerate sin. If you've ever sinned, you have to realize he cannot tolerate you and must punish you accordingly unless there is good news and there is because your sin can be forgiven. Not past, not present, not future. The whole kit kaboom. All of them can be forgiven. Therefore, we come to a holy God and we beg his forgiveness. And all can be forgiven. And our debt must also be abolished. We see this in verse 14, that our debt must be abolished. He said in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Our sin has to be forgiven. Our debt has to be abolished. You know, if I steal from you, some think of a some crazy sum that uh, you're like, you can steal it from me because I don't even have it. So let's go six figures at least. $100,000. If I came and somehow snuck around and I stole from you $100,000, okay, would you be happy about that? I mean, highly, highly offended. You call the cops. Cops find me. They bring me to court. I mean, I, that's in a court date. And I confess, guilty, caught. But I turn to you at the courtroom and I say, brother, sister, I'm wrong. I did it. I'm guilty. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Let's assume you're kind. Okay? Let's assume you do forgive. What's your what's your next question? Where where's where where's the money? Mm, yeah, that's a fair question. It's gone. I can't repay it. I wasted it away. I took your goodness. The good that you had. And I ruined it. the nerve of me to come ask forgiveness knowing I cannot repay the debt. You, you see just how insane that thought is. What, what, do, you, what do you mean it's gone? It's gone. It's just wasted. The very good you had, I destroyed. Like that. I realize now I should never have done it, but I did it, and I wouldn't get forgiven. You know, when Christ paid our debt, he says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Stood against us. So maybe at first you forgave me, but then you're like, but the debt still has to be paid. Who's paying the debt? Who asks for forgiveness like this? Who 
who can ask forgiveness like this? Who has the nerve to ask somebody, forgive me, even though I know I can't repay your, your debt for highly offending you or, and destroying the good that you have? You know who does that? We do. When we come to God. Can you repay the debt that you owe him? We can't. And we come with our nothing from the west, right? He removes our sin from us to bring salvation to the homes of men. God has to forgive our sins. God has to obliterate the debt that is due. He must also meet the legal demands. Look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So let's go back. I stole 100000 from you. I'm at court. I was caught. I plead guilty. I ask you to forgive me. You forgive me. I'm still in debt. I owe you $100,000. Like, where's my money? I don't have it. Somebody in the crowd stands up and says, I'll pay it. Deal. Deal. I'm excited. $100,000. You get your $100,000 back. I ask for you. So we're good. Right? Been forgiven. The debt's paid. What's the problem, though? I'm still in court. There's still a law. But I'm forgiven. The debt's been repaid. But you can choose your, your sin. You can't choose your consequence. You, right? You can't choose your consequence. That's how the law works. Well, I don't think it's that bad. Well, too bad. It is that bad. That's what it says it is. It says it's, that's the penalty for that. So there's a problem here. You stand before the judge. I'm forgiven from them. My debt's been paid. I'm still in court. One last plot twist here. You're the judge. And you have to preside over this. Conflict of interest, a little bit. I stole 100000 from you. You're the one that stands and says, I'll repay the debt. But knowing you're still the judge and you have a jury and they found me guilty, I've already said I'm guilty, and, and now we're like, well, what do we got to do? And the, you're the judge looking at me going, it's minimum is three years. Minimum is five years, whatever it be. And the judge, and you look at me and you say, I'll take your place. Like, what? No, I robbed you. I took your money. You, you're forgiving me. It's gracious. You're paying back the debt. Now you've lost 200000 It's very gracious. You're going to take my place? The law has to be met. You pled guilty. There's three years have to be served. I don't want you to bear that. Let me take your place. So this is a 
foolish illustration that I'm trying to scratch the small surface of the great glory and mystery of salvation for us that is Christ forgiving our sins, removing our debt, and meeting the demands of the law. For the wages, the payment of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ's Lord. Somebody has to die. The payment has to be made. Yesterday we took, again, took Rebecca in Richmond, and we took our kids to VMFA, the Virginia Museum of Fine Art, um, almost like a social social experiment to see how they would respond to fine art and see if we could bring culture into our family. Um, <laughs> so we, we gave it a shot, and we saw statues, hieroglyphics, and see Fabergé eggs, and just, ooh, you know, ah. And we turn in one room, we saw the Renaissance room, right? And you see in the Renaissance room, you see lots of church-type art. And uh, we have a picture here, I snapped a photo of Christ, if you go to the next slide here, Christ hanging on the cross. There were, this is one of many. Um, but this is one that you can get close enough to to take a picture, so I, I snapped a picture of it. And if you look closely, there's a little paper above Christ's head. Right? And read it on there is in three different languages, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and based off John 19, 19 and other Gospels. Now one commentator, can we, if we look, we look closer, you go on the next slide, slide here, you see that, there's that little picture. And that statement, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. One commentator noted the cross of Christ would have included an upper vertical extension, the higher part of the T. It would have included that. Why? Because typically used, this, this top part, extension part, was typically used only when it was necessary to nail the legal sentence above the head of the condemned prisoner. So whenever they had to add to this reasoning, why is this person being crucified, they would add that top portion and put on there the sentence, this is why they're doomed to die. What was written above Jesus is that he's the king. What sin did they lay before him? What did the guy that ordered his death, what did he find? I find no fault in him. So what crime is he dying for? As if the Father takes up all of our sin record, writes down this massive IOU, this thing here, you know, this record of sin, and, and he takes it and then he, he places it on Christ's cross and he nails it in. And my sin is the reason he's dying. My, my sin crucified the Lord of glory. What crime did he commit? None. That's my sin. Friend, it's your sin. So if Christ looks at you, you can't, child, you can't bear this burden. You can't do it. Let me take the note. Let me bear the sin. Let me bear the guilt. The wrath that is fallen on you, let me take it from you. 
pure by nature, children of wrath. You can become children of light. Let the God of glory not just forgive you of your sin. Let him also remove the debt. Let him take your sins and let him die for you. My friend, let me, you don't have to let him do it. He already did it. And all you do is come, believe, and call. That was easy. It was not easy. It was not easy. But he made it so easy that even a child could come. Anybody can call on the name of the Lord. Anybody can believe on him. But it was hard fought. It was hard fought. go back to our next slide here we see also this penalty of sin must be canceled canceled that sin is forgiven the debt is removed the legal demands are met and we see that god gives us life this is how this process starts look at the end of verse 13 right god made us alive together with him how having forgiven us all our trespasses when the penalty of sin is canceled he makes us alive because Christ was raised from the dead, as Paul shows in 2.12, those that are forgiven, those that debts have been canceled, those that have seen the legal demands of law met, these are given new life. God makes us alive together with Christ. We go from dead to alive, from sinners to saints, from offenders to pardoned, from indebtedness to being lavished upon, from legal guilt to walking away scot-free. This is what Luther called the wondrous exchange. He said Christ takes our sin... We take his righteousness. Not a fair exchange. But it is a wondrous exchange. Christ takes our sins. We take his righteousness. All because the penalty of sin has been canceled by Christ. But there's still one more barrier. Still one more locked door that you have to get through before you can get to the cross. So he busts open the first door. I destroyed sin. I can abolish the debt that is there. There's one more barrier. We see next that the power of Satan must be destroyed. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to an open shame, triumphing over them in him. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. These rulers and authorities, we're not speaking of physical, we're not speaking of Pontius Pilate and the Pharisees, we're speaking of spiritual rulers. As we read in Ephesians 2 earlier, right? You were dead in your trespasses in which you, watched, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. This is spiritual realm, the unseen realm, that Christ is still ruling and reigning over. We saw in Colossians 1, 16 and Colossians 2, 10. One writer said of this, here is one of the great turnarounds in all of history. The one who came in the form of a slave, remember Christ in Philippians 2 talks about this, who came in the form of a slave and died the most humiliating death imaginable has now been exalted and has become a name above every name and has stripped the demonic realm of its power. He's not only stripped them of, his, of their power, he publicly shames them in front of the created universe that he has. He publicly shames them as he triumphs over them. So in this day and age, there's no YouTube, there's no TikTok, 
just on whatever video app that you guys like, none of that was around. So how would you show that you won the war? How would you show that you had the victory? So they would have a great parade, like we think of in our day and age for, like if somebody wins a championship, the Stromo Parade, right? They close the street, they go down, and they, you won a piece of metal, right? And everyone holds it up, and yay, here's my piece of metal. And they walk around. Parade, millions of dollars to show people one medal. Well, back then, they would say, we conquered an entire nation. We won this massive war. Lives were spent. Blood was spilled. We walked away victorious. And they would close down the streets, and they would have a parade. And the parade would be led by the general. The general would lead the parade. Behind him would be the soldiers. Behind the soldiers would be the spoils. And you'd have the they would hold up, hey, look what we, look what we took. There would be paintings, art, there would be descriptions of somebody trying to show, here's what it looked like. So there's a picture, so imagine this moving, and that's what happened in the battle. We won. So people holding up all the stuff, they go around. At the very end comes the prisoners. The conquered. Humiliated. Shamed. Some are headed for execution. Some are headed to the Colosseum. Some are headed to slavery. They have no rights. They have no authority. And everyone's looking at them at a spectacle and just going, you have lost. You were ruined. This parade is what Paul is speaking here. That Christ triumphs over them and brings them to an open shame in front of the entire world. This is what Christ has done to the powers. He not just beat them, he openly destroys them. It's the second barrier, the second locked door that must be removed in order for sinners to be made saints. The penalty of sin has to be paid for. That has to be canceled, and it is. The power of Satan must be abolished. So what does all this mean for us today? What can we apply to our lives? Let me ask you a few questions, and we'll close, and then we'll head into, we'll sing a couple songs, we'll head into communion. First off, friend, if you're here, I, I don't care if you've been in church your entire life, this is your first time here, like, have you ever trusted Christ as Lord? Have you ever trusted Christ as Lord? He has made a way. He has made a way for you. Turning and believing, that was easy. But it was hard fought. It was hard won. He will cancel the debt you owe. He will satisfy the legal debt. He will forgive you of all your sins. Friend, look at me. Come. Come to Christ today. You can do so by believing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That he died on the cross for your sins. That he rose again, defeating death and hell. He ascended on high. If he ever lives today, Place your faith and trust in the Lord of Lord. Doing so, you're giving him your life. Give him your life. He's not Lord of all, but you're not bound by Satan. You're not enslaved to sin. You're not dead to him, unable to respond. Come to Christ today. See me out the back. I'd love to chat with you. Find a Christian friend that you came with. Chat with them. We'd love to show you how you can know the greatness of making Christ Lord. If you're here and you've received Christ as Lord, let me ask you a few questions. Are you living as though you have been forgiven.
Are you living as though you have been forgiven? Teenagers and children, listen to me real quick. Your, your parents and your grandparents, one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons why they sometimes seem so adamant about you not doing something you don't feel is that bad, a lot of times, a lot of times it's because they don't want you to make the same mistakes that they made. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, has, has Satan ever haunted you with your past? You ever look in the mirror and you don't like what you see? And we're not talking about physically. Man, I wish. If I could go back, I would go back. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, is he not? Christian, listen to me. Jesus has forgiven accuser and if anything you do listen embrace it you are that you did that yeah I gotta do it guilty as charged but I am forgiven period I drop dead because my savior rules and reigns if you are here and you're a Christian how should you respond to Christ? He has forgiven you, taken on your debt, satisfied the legal demands, broken the power of Satan over you. How should you respond to that? Let me encourage you to do two things. Look up. Praise God. You're getting a chance to sing. We're going to sing a couple songs here. Christian, what, what keeps you from singing out with awe? You have a chance to praise Him. Praise Him. Sing out, shout out with all you have. Second, live like you've been given new life. Live like Christ has granted you victory. Uh, in fact, write down this verse if, if you have a chance today. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.14. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Write that down. Because it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. Guess what triumphal procession Paul is talking about here? The very same. Our Savior goes before, and we're like, He won the war. He's the one that gets the credit. We're cheering behind him. He won the war. He leads us in the triumphal procession with the spoils that come behind and the powers of this world with their tails tucked between their legs are in the back ready to meet their doom. But thanks be to God who leads us into the triumphal procession. He has granted you the ability to live today in victory. Now, go claim it. Go live in the very power God has granted you. The best way you can thank our Savior is live like you've been saved. Live like it. Live in victory today. Brother, you, sister, you've been forgiven all. Move on, for crying out loud. Move on. You've been forgiven Live today like you've been forgiven. Live today in that triumphal procession. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Then go make disciples. Shout it from the rooftop. He can do the same for you. Look what my general can do. Look what my commander in chief can do. He can do the same for you. Let's bow in a word of prayer.